0: seven months, six months, nine months, doing my 12-step program and um, there's something missing. And I'm sitting there in this bed, in the, in the dark, for the first time in a long time, I'm like, God, help me. And it came to my head for the rescue mission. Some, something in my head said, call him. Okay, this is God's hand again. He is making sure that this phone call that I finally decided to make is gonna, gonna work. Thank you for
1: listening to the Collective Church Podcast. Collective is a church for the rest of us, which means if you've never been to church, walked away from the church, or are struggling to find a church to connect with, you belong here. Every Thursday over the next year, we are sharing a new episode in our Your Story Matters podcast series. This is an opportunity for people from Collective to be real about their brokenness and what God has done and is doing in their lives. These stories will be real and raw and vulnerable, and we hope they encourage and inspire you in your own faith to share your story. To watch the sermons from the Your Story Matters series or to find out more, you can head to YSM. Welcome back to the Your Story Matters podcast. I am so thankful you're joining us today. We have another really great story. Um, One of my favorite stories that I've heard over the past few years at Collective. Um, I have Mike with me. Uh, Mike is someone who we met coming right out of COVID. And um, I never would have imagined the story he's about to tell, just knowing who he is and seeing his heart. And so I'm really excited for you all to, to hear his story. Um, but really to, uh, my hope is that you lean in and you learn and experience, um, wisdom from, from Mike, uh, because this one's a really good one today. And so let's kick things off. Tell us, Mike, how old you are, where
0: you grew up and get us started on your childhood. I'm 62 years old. I was born and raised in Baltimore city. When, when I was born, um, Unfortunately, my father left my mother when I was six months old. Um, the first um, father I ever really had, mem- you know, started to know was my stepfather, and um, which who my mother married when I was about five. We were the typical 1960s family, um, lower middle class in that area. Um, my stepfather, Bud, he had his own business. He was a machinist. My mom was your typical 60s housewife. She took care of the kids in the house. And life was really good. I didn't want for anything. There was there was no abuse of any kind or any kind of addiction in my family from my mother or, or stepfather. I have four sisters, and I am the only one that I know who has suffered from um, the disease of addiction. So life, life was good. Um, then we moved right on to Harford Road, where... But had found a place with a garage so his business instead of being downtown would be right next to the house. And um, he was kinda he was he was a good guy. He was he was a good stepfather. It was just your fairy tale life. Things changed. My life changed at the age of ten. My mother was diagnosed with cancer, the kind of cancer that there was no recovering from. Of course, this was 1970. They don't have they didn't have what they have now. And um, she stayed home, she was at home, and at the ripe old age of 10 I, I witnessed my mother slowly and very painfully wither away from from cancer, who uh, just ate her from the inside out. It was, it was a horrible thing to witness, because my mom was was my world. The one thing that, that really um, hurt, for some reason or another, I, I have ideas of why the reason was, but I, I don't want to speculate. But I was the only person in my family not to make it to my mother's funeral, so yeah. While everyone else was at the funeral, I was I was I was home with my stepmother. Yeah, you know, that's when everything changed. And and the sad thing is that the death of my mother was never really addressed. I kept asking like, you know, why, you know, why 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 you know, as a typical ten year old kid. I just want to know why. The answer I got mostly was, God needed her, sure. and. That that angered me, okay, and I, because you know what, I needed her too, yeah. Yeah. okay. My older sister Debbie needed her, my younger sister Cheryl, who was still not even two years old yet, she needed her. It was just a very painful um, process to go through, and um, from that point, I was I was just all of a sudden just shifted from the life I knew with my stepfather and mom and my two sisters. Okay, and now I'm with my father, and my stepmother, and my two stepsisters. You know, my two stepsisters from his second marriage, and it was not good. Um, I, I felt so out of place. Um, I was the lost child. Later to be the scapegoat in the family um, unit. Um, I kept running away. I was I was I was broken. I was broken hearted. Um, I didn't know if I was coming or going. Who who loved me? Who who cared? I mean, they, they, they were they were kind, I mean, I, they, there was no real, there was no abuse or anything. They had a roof, I had food, clothes, you know, they did the things that parents do for their children, but there was just something in me that was, that was not working.
1: Yeah, and things that were unaddressed, yeah. you know, yeah.
0: like things that weren't talked about or dealt with. Yeah, it was that, that time period too, things, things just weren't, you know, talked about, you know, sometimes. And I kept running away to my grandmother's house, my mother's mother, very strong woman. Um, At that point in time, um, my grandmother had taken in a couple of uh, foster children, okay, that she was trying to help raise, you know, and things like that. So they really didn't have room for me at the house. But I had an aunt and uncle who have both passed now. They had a farm there. So at age 12, I went from the big city of Baltimore to, uh, the quiet country life, and, uh, which was a big change for me. Of course, I didn't know anyone at school. I had to make new friends, but that, that came easy for me for some reason, and um, this is my first real, true memories of going to church every Sunday. Wow. Uh, St. John's, a small, small church. It was like going back in time 100 years. It was, we were singing Holy, 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 Amazing Grace, Old Rugged Cross, all the, all the old all the old hymns it was very i don't know structured it was the same way there was like no flow people came in they sat down the pastor did his his sermon we sang he talked some more we, we sang we passed passed the the, the basket and everybody left. Yeah. that was pretty much it um, through the week only on Sunday were anything anybody talked about church yeah. it was Sunday and and again, in retrospect, as, as I remember, you don't want to miss church because the, as soon as they get out of church, it's going to be from one county, it's going to be across the county. They didn't show up for church. Yeah, yeah. There was so much gossiping, and as we know from Scripture, gossip is not a good thing. Yeah. So, and it was just a lot, of, and I was confused. It's hard to understand, but I was like, oh, it's okay. All right, I, I'm I'm still, I don't know, I don't want to say angry. With God, I was still like wondering, sure. still sure. had the why Yeah, absolutely. In, in, my, in my mind about what happened with mom. Life went on. I, I lived on the farm. It, it was a working farm and uh, everybody had chores. I, I, sometimes I thought I did more work before I went to school than most people did all yeah. day. Yeah. You know, going out and getting the eggs and from the chicken coop and this and that. Um, but, but I did learn a lot. I learned a lot about um, a work ethic, just to work hard yeah. and um, to appreciate which you have. Along with the farm, they had greenhouses where they sold flowers, and they had a little general store, you know, your typical little general country store, convenience store, but they also had a license to sell beer. Okay, and this this is where my addiction started. 13, I started to take some beer from the store. Sometimes it was my job to watch the store, yeah. you know, and if there's something I couldn't handle, I would get on the intercom, and call for my cousin or my aunt or my uncle, and they'd come out to the store and take care of the customer. But there were some days it was just long and lonely, and nobody was coming in the store. You know, for hours sometimes it would be, wouldn't be would be a customer. And um, one day I decided to, okay, let's try a couple of Miller ponies. Yeah. I liked it. Okay, it, it's, it was immediate. Um, this was something, okay, now I can forget. Yeah. Okay, now I can just... On this little cloud, and not worry anymore. I don't have to worry, this and that. That went on for about a year. For some reason, I I started to get a little discontented with being on the farm. I started to miss because we we did see family. They would come every once in a while and visit. But um, I started to miss the city, I guess, or my, my old life. So I started to get, you know, like I said, discontented with that, and I, I wasn't happy. And, and my aunt thought, saw that I wasn't happy. And um, then one fateful day, I got caught with the beer thing. And um, so I was I was punished accordingly. No, you know, physical punishment, but, you know, extra chores, stuff like that. No TV. And things just kind of spiraled downward from there, and then... Year or so later, I was about 15, and I I went to my aunt one day and said, I want to go back to Baltimore. Yeah. They were like, well, Where are you going to go? And I was and I was like, I, I'm not sure, but I'll figure it out. Yeah. My older sister Debbie had um, was married, and her and uh, my um, brother-in-law Mike, another Mike, lots of Mikes, <laughs> yeah. they were in Baltimore. So I I talked to them and they said, Okay. Debbie was pregnant with my with her first child, my first nephew, Sean, I went there for a little while, but that didn't work out because I was 15, I was was in high school, and then I started to experiment with here comes the drugs, okay, marijuana, hashish, that was very, very readily available in in the Baltimore area at that point in time, and my brother-in-law, Mike, was just, he's not going to put up with that, okay, he's just not that kind of guy. So that didn't last long. So I finally wound up after, from age 12 to 15, you know, I was home. Then I went to my dad. Then I went to the farm. Then I went with my sister. And now I'm back at home with my dad, stepmother, and two stepsisters. The place I ran away from so many times. I've come full circle. Now I'm back.
1: Yeah. And when you were on the farm and when you were... Going through that experience, did you have contact with your family at all? Like, did you, they knew you were okay? Yeah,
0: yeah, they, they, um, my grandmother and grandfather would visit, um, holidays and sometimes they would just come, you know, on a weekend or whatever. I didn't have much contact with Debbie, um, or, or Cheryl because, because Cheryl was Bud's daughter and, and he, he, he took them and, and Debbie was on her own. Actually, she was down in, um, uh, my brother-in-law went to Wake Forest. Where is that wake forest north carolina north, yeah, yeah. North carolina. he was he was a the demon deacon he played football for wake forest and uh, they were down there for a while he was still in they got married while he was still in college wow. yeah. so that's how young they, they, they you know they, they hooked up and um so, yeah we, we we saw each other we were in contact yeah. everybody knew everybody was okay
1: yeah did you guys ever talk during that time about your mom's passing or was it just something that happened that obviously had an impact on your family because it like. Split everybody it, it, up.
0: Everybody went different directions. Yeah. It was it was years. I mean, I, my older sister Debbie um, and I are the only ones who share the same paternal mother and father. Okay. Unfortunately, we weren't really that close. Yeah. I mean, we, we were brother and sister. Yeah. I, I have some fond memories of Debbie when I was young and before Mom died, and you know she she was a caring sister. But but then again, she was a teenager in the 1960s, yeah. so she was doing. Yeah, yeah. her thing. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> okay. It, it was, yeah, she, was, she wasn't a hippie, but she, she was like, I want to be. Yeah. You know? And um, Well, and plus, like, Baltimore in the 60s, Baltimore
1: forever has been a hard city, mm-hmm. right? Like, it's a blue-collar, tough place. Right. There's a lot of autonomy and freedom for people who grew up in Baltimore. There's a lot of stories of um, my parents both worked, or I had a single parent, and I just kind of did what I did. You know, and then on top of that, you guys have this kind of like disconnected, disjointed family dynamic where, um, when your mom passes, all of a sudden it's, you know, a father who left, but came back, you know, a stepmom scenario, stepdad scenario. Mm-hmm. And so it makes sense that in those years you're trying to find your place, yeah. right? It makes sense that, um, even as a teenager, you know, experiencing the loss of a mom, but also the broken family side, you're just, where do I belong? Like, where can I be? Where can I be safe? Where can I be comfortable? Like, where can I, you know, even as a kid, you're just wondering like, where can I thrive? Um, and it's kind of led you all over the place. And so, okay. So you got us up to the point where you're back living with your dad, um, which you've done before Mm -hmm. and it didn't go well. And so you're a teenager back in Baltimore, living with your dad. You know, keep keep bringing us through this okay. story. Okay,
0: uh, if you didn't think the first time didn't go well, well, the second time was worse because now I'm 15, going on 16, and I have you know I've met friends that's at I went to Northern High School, and from where my sister lived, where I was at, and my father, it was I went to the same school. I didn't Good. have to change Good. schools. It was Good. that close, yep. and I had a lot of friends from Towson because the area was like borderline Towson right there on the uh, county city line. And um, I got into my group of friends. We were we were all heads, as it used to be called, smoking marijuana. Uh, Boone's Farm, Strawberry Hill, wine, you know, and the cheapest beer you can get somebody to buy for you. That was a big thing back then, get somebody to get the beer for you. And that, that was my life. I, I started to not do well academically. I, I played sports, but then my grades got so poor that I couldn't play sports yeah. anymore yeah. and that that really bummed me out um, so at uh, 16 almost 17 I quit I quit school just kind of for a little while it was allowed you know, just kind of bum around a little bit but then it was like okay you got to get a job you're not going to go to school you got to do something you got to yeah. get a job and you know I, I try getting these little little things you know fast food places pizza you know whatever um just working there and I, I would stay for a little rustler steakhouse i was a busboy for a little while and um things just weren't working out and then you know i was using drugs and my my, my dad and my stepmom were they knew i was using because i really didn't try to hide it yeah. that's how much i didn't care yeah. and that, that became a big problem later on in life my not caring yeah. um so i was doing my thing they were watching And then um, my dad pulled me aside one day and says, "Um, you're going to be 18 in a couple of months. Okay, here it is. Okay, either you get straightened up or we want to put you in um, Shepard Pratt. Wow. Okay. And Shepard Pratt at that time, from what I heard, was not a good place to be. Um, This is 1978. Yeah, and Shepard Pratt right now like organizationally
1: it's pretty big in maryland but it has a lot to do with mental health and addiction but in the 60s and 70s people had no idea yeah. what any of these things were and right. so um i imagine it was probably more behavioral you know uh, trying to fix yeah. you type thing yes. than, than right. what you know what we're seeing in 2022 um so that had to be a little bit intimidating little um scary. that was that
0: was scary yeah um then i was like you're not putting me in Shepherd Pratt. are you kidding me and then well okay my father okay he spent 15 years in the army national guard and was a master sergeant and he goes well if it's not that and you don't straighten up you got the military because at 18 we're done with you yeah they just he just put it out there we're done with you you're going to you're going to leave you're going to leave the house you're 18. It's not our you're not our responsibility anymore. That really hurt. Yeah. Okay.
1: Well, okay. So let's, But he was doing it was tough love. Yeah, but I understand. But it's not like they've ever he's ever been responsible for you. Right? Like no, no, so no. that that has to be tough because he's saying, Hey, we're not gonna take care of you anymore. And you're looking at your life going, Where have you been? Yeah. You know? And so it's it's not that different from a mother who passes away than a father who's not present, mm-hmm. you know, and like I think, I, I, like I can imagine that the fear of what comes next, also coupled with a, hey man, like I've always wondered if you wanted me, and and you're kind of saying you don't because I'm too difficult or too much of a burden. I was, I was, like,
0: a, I was a handful. Yeah, yeah that, that was my yeah. fault. Yeah. yeah, I know, I know this now in retrospect, of course. So um, I, I mulled that over for a little while, and I was like, I'm not going to Shepherd Pratt. So. Well, let's go in the military. Yeah. That's hey, come on! It's not just a job; it's an adventure, yeah, right? Sure, sure. <laughs> yeah. So uh, yeah, and um, at first, I I wanted to join the Marine Corps, but um, I I went to the recruiting office and to check it out, and um, went to the Marine Corps recruiter because because I never graduated. I didn't have a high school diploma yeah. at this time, so they said, "Well, you don't have a diploma. You don't have a high school. We can't let you in the Marine Corps." And I go. Is that like? Is that the same thing for all the military? And he was like, No, you can go across the hall over to the navy guys. They'll take you. Yeah. Right. With a kind of a smug look see, on his yeah, face, and the big marine. <laughs> yeah. Go. Go talk to the Mar- the, the navy guys. Yeah. They'll take you. They'll take anyone. Yeah. <laughs> so. Uh, so I went over to the navy recruiter, talked to him, and he was like, Okay, listen this, and and um, I, I was on my journey to join join the military. Here we go. Uh, a couple weeks later, I went to the Absvab station near the near the airport to take the test, which was which was interesting because I wasn't sure how well I was going to do. I didn't have a high school diploma. I didn't consider myself smart, but um, I don't know these tests they give you you know IQ tests and different things you know cross referencing things. Just anyways, it, it was hours and hours of testing, hundreds of questions. The group I was with, you know, we were all sitting in this room. And uh, they, they called three of us it was it was a girl a guy and me and I was like I'm out of here right they're, they're I'm already gone right but it wasn't that wasn't the case they pulled the three of us out because we had the highest scores wow. they take me uh, into an office and they sat me down uh, with the first-class petty officer he goes okay the first thing you're gonna do young man, is take that coke spoon off from around your neck I wore a necklace oh, wow. that was a, it was a Coke spoon. I wow. was like, to the recruiting office. Yeah. He goes, take that off and put it in the trash can. And I did. And he goes, okay, now we can talk. That was so stupid. But anyway, he goes, look, you, you have some pretty good scores here, but I see that you don't have a diploma. So the first thing I want you to do when you get to your duty station is get your GED equivalency. And as soon as you get your GED, go to your administrator's office, wherever you are, let them check your... Your records and your scores and everything because i think he would be a pretty good candidate for ocs yeah so they want to make me an officer are you kidding me yeah right come on this this is you know but so i went to my first duty station my first duty station was my school after boot camp um i got an a school which not everybody gets because i did well academically again in, in in boot camp and i was i was going to be trained to be a hospital corpsman so i was a navy medic and, of course, I'm already a full-fledged alcoholic by this time, okay, and, and drug addict yeah. at the ripe old age of 18. Okay, I went to my A school. Then my secondary school was at Camp Pendleton to learn combat um, medicine because the Navy guys, the Navy corpsmen are the guys who hit the beaches with the Marines when they go in. Yeah. So I had to have that training to get my 8404 rating, and then mm-hmm. they shipped me to Okinawa where I thought it was going to be part of a Marine Corps unit, but... They took me from the Marines and put me on postpartum, Interesting. We c- taking care of moms and their new babies. Wow! Um, and and I did well. I, I was doing well for a while. Um, I actually got to work the whole fourth floor, which was you know postpartum, uh, labor and delivery, and nursery. Wow! I went. I went to all three of those, um, and then I wound up in the nursery. I was still doing my thing, drinking and everything, but I was doing also the right thing with you know, showing up for duty and doing what I was supposed to do. They had a brand-new Ohio ICU, uh, neonatal ICU bed, um, this big thing that's for, for, you know, premature babies and babies that have problems. And they were putting together putting together a team for the neonatal ICU. And uh, they wanted me to be part of it. Um, there was a couple of cases that were in just incredible um um, stories of, of survival on how strong the human will can really be when a baby is born so premature that you can fit the child in the palm of your hand and um, th- their lungs haven't been fully developed yet and you're watching and taking care of this little little person and um, watching him get better Wow! you know uh, gavage feeding with the tube down the throat you know and then Bringing out the residual and, and marking this down and checking and making sure everything is fine, as temperature and all the all the vital signs, and um, this this little boy was there. Five months later, he went home with his mom and dad, and that was that just made me feel so. Good. Me and the rest of the team were like, I mean, they took pictures and everything, yeah. and um, that was that was just incredible. Um, there was also another sad. Okay, there's, there, there's the happy and there's also the sad. There was another incident. Um, it wasn't premature. It was, a, it was a, a, a hard labor where the umbilical cord got wrapped around the baby's neck while it was being born. You couldn't breathe, and they tried to resuscitate and resuscitate, and it took way too long. But finally, the baby started breathing. But to make a long story short, little, this little baby, um, child died you know, a couple of weeks later. That's, that's life, life, life and death. That's, that's part of um, what we do here on... On earth. Um, so, so, what? I
1: mean, obviously, those are two very different parts of your job at that point. You said you're still drinking and still doing drugs and mm-hmm. all that. Are you noticing that? Like on the good days, like when, you know, the story of the, the kid who walks out of there, like, do you feel like the drinking and drugs are are going, are stopping and the hard days are going up? Or is this just like the baseline of how you're functioning at this point? It's just a part of it. There was a
0: reason to go out and get drunk. Yeah. Was, yeah. That was, yeah. I, I wasn't, I mean, it, it was, it was a happy moment. You know, we did well. Okay. Let's go celebrate. Sure. Sure. Yeah. So yeah. both
1: things led to yeah. more addiction the and more. sad abuse. one was yeah.
0: like, oh my God. My whole life revolved around the drinking.
1: At this point, the, does, has the Navy figured anything out? Like, do they know Almost. something's going on? Okay.
0: Almost. Um, I, had a, I had an incident where um, one of the very few times I was actually late because I had been out drinking. I was in the barracks and I was working the PM shift. I was like, oh my gosh, I want to be late. So I put on my uniform real quick and I was running across the, the compound and I hit this grassy area and there was a hole. I, and I had a third-degree inversion sprain, so I, the, I went to you know so I went in you know and I'm hobbling, and they smelled alcohol on my yeah. breath. Yeah. So because you, you were going your way to duty like this, and now you're hurt because yeah. you're running and yeah, so they did put me on a 28-day thing. yeah. Which didn't really help, but then a- after that it seemed things seemed to just really spiral downward for me. Mm-hmm Um, because now they knew, okay, it was out, and I wasn't going to change, okay, I was going to keep drinking. I don't know if a lot of people know this, but um, you can go into a drugstore over in Japan and buy Valium or or Speed or cough syrup with codeine in it. You just go in and buy it. Of course, you don't want to get caught because um, military personnel were not allowed to go in these places, but... They can't watch them all. Yeah, but the rules are very different over there. Yes, and And, uh, so I was just crazy, and things uh, spiraled out of control. And then I got this bright idea of the local nationals. um, For some reason, they really liked Crown Royal uh, filterless cigarettes and Olympia beer. So I got the great idea to start selling this stuff to somebody so he could sell it on the black market. Yeah. You know, I would would use my rash. I get so much... And, yeah, then I got caught doing that. Yeah. And to make a long story short, the Navy got tired of my shenanigans, and they said, look, do you want out? I was like, yes. Yeah, yeah. so they, they, um, they made that happen. Um, it was a less than honorable discharge. It wasn't dishonorable, but it still wasn't an honorable discharge, which you know, really hurt me yeah. in life over yeah. the years. And then I, you know, then I wound up back home. You know, I'm 20 years old now. And um, I didn't know what I was going to do. Oh, I knew one thing I was going to do is I was not going to stop drinking or doing drugs. That's the one thing I was not going to do, stop. I kept going on with this, and I went from job to job to job. Well, I moved to Ocean City for a year because there was work there. And I was living in O.C. doing construction. And uh, that kind of petered out. You know, the work kind of slowed down. And um, I was like, now what am I going to do? You know, I had a little bit of money saved. And uh, I said, okay. I'm going to flip a coin. Heads California, tails Florida. Came up tails, so I wound up going to Florida. Got a bus ticket one way, packed my stuff, and I was gone.
1: Did you know, didn't know anybody someone. there? You didn't know anything, no job prospects, anything like that. You're just like, all right, let's get
0: the heck out of here. Yep, that's exactly what I did. But this is how God works. On the bus, on the way to South Florida, I met, meet this guy, Manny. He's a Cuban guy he's from fort lauderdale that's where i'm going
1: hmm.
0: okay so we, we're talking we're sitting next to each other you know we're doing drugs we get to fort lauderdale and he was like you know he's telling me about his family and all this and we kind of hit it off so we get there and um we go to his house and um his older brother gave me a, he said this is the guy i met you know they were really friendly, friendly yeah. family i mean they were just terrific people and they took me i just go well i just need to get a place you know a motel room or something I had some money. And I was in a motel for a couple of weeks. I was looking for work. Um, and I, I couldn't find anything. Then one day, Manny and his dad and his older brother show up at the motel where they dropped me off to see how I was doing. Wow. Right. These people didn't, didn't know me from Adam. Yeah. We just met a couple of weeks ago. I just met their son on a bus ride to, down, yeah. down to Florida. And they came to check on me. And the money was getting a little short because the motel room was a, was expensive. And they asked me, you know, and all of a sudden they were just like, you can come with us. They took me into their home, didn't ask me for a dime. About a week later, I did find a job in construction. They let me stay there and I saved a little money. And um, they were just so kind, these people. And that, that was, that's God's work. God's hands are all over this. Because if, if they hadn't come and take me, I would have been on the street. yeah, so um, I did get the job in construction and that's where I met um, a guy um, named Britt and we were about the same age he was working we were working for Miller construction and he needed a roommate. so um, we kind of hit it off, so I moved in with him, unbeknownst that you know Britt was a what you call a crackhead yeah, basically, which turned me into one. Yeah. Not that I really resisted sure okay sure, I didn't yeah. you're on that path yeah, yeah. and okay just to make a long story short I spent 12 years in Florida I met some good people I did a, I did some things okay running amok um, I got to a point where um, it was really starting to get where I didn't want to be around anymore and thoughts of suicide um, were definitely in my head again I wound up in a motel room I had a job at a bindery you know where they put magazines together I was clearly on the edge, um, and I had it all planned out. Nobody had to worry about me anymore. I'm sitting on the edge of the bed, crying, just all of a sudden, here's God's hand again. All of a sudden, my grandmother's phone number came into my head, and I called. I'm on the edge of my bed, ready to kill myself, and I call my grandmother instead. And Miss Marie, a lifelong neighbor, of my grandparents answered the phone Wow. and um she was like michael michael this is kitty's kitty's michael because they called my grandmother kitty was her was her nickname and she was like oh my god and you could hear the screams she goes kitty kitty it's michael it's michael and you can hear my grandmother in the background oh my god right and she gets on the phone and we talked i'm crying she's like where have you been what are you doing we've been so worried about you and that and that was a little glimpse of, of me saying, okay, maybe somebody does care, yeah. okay? It's a little hope there. And I was like, Mom, Mom, I'm, I'm sorry, I'm, I'm here in Florida. And um, she was like, look, we're gonna send you a ticket, okay? You stay right where you're at, we're gonna send you a ticket to the trailways, you know? I told her you, is there a bus station where you're at? And I was like, yeah, there's one right down the street, Greyhound, same one I came in on, right, 12 years earlier. And uh, they sent me a ticket. They didn't want to send me any money because I asked for some money. And yeah, he's like, yeah, no, yeah. we're They're not sending you know. any money, Michael. Yeah. Like, oh, it's not going to happen. We will send you a ticket yeah. to get you up to Baltimore. My grandfather picked me up. And so now I'm back in Baltimore. It's 96.
1: Which, really quickly, let me let me cut in here for a second. Faith. Like, you know, you're talking now. And, and one of the reasons why I love this podcast is because we have people who are 20 and in their 30s and then we've got people in their 60s. And a lot of your story comes with the wisdom of perspective. You have a perspective that a lot of, of us don't have yet. And so you keep saying, like, the hand of God. At the time,
0: like, did you feel like God was real, God was moving in your life, like nothing? No, this, I just thought I was getting lucky. See, this, is, this is all an afterthought. Yeah. But there's so many times that, that now I know, yeah. now I know this was God helping me along little yeah. baby steps. Yeah. He's helping me. He's not letting me go that way anymore you know, all the way, he's helping me. So now I'm back, I'm back in Baltimore. I stay at my grandparents' for a couple months. I get a little place, I, I get a job, but I'm still, I'm still out there, okay? Drinking, drugging, it's crazy. So now, so now, now let's see, it's uh, 2014 and I'm working for this guy who unbeknownst to me was in recovery. I had a little, a little place and I stopped showing up for work and he'd come by and say, like, What are you doing, man? And he saw the beer bottles and the empty whiskey bottles all over the place. It was a mess. Just a mess. I'm on the bathroom I'm on the bathroom floor when he comes in. Luckily my door was unlocked. And he go he helps me up, gets me on my bed and he goes, Look, man, let me help you. No, not happening. And and this is where his his wisdom comes in because he's part of the fellowship of AA. He knew not to push. Yeah. He knew not to push. So he says, All right. So he comes back the next day. <laughs> so, you know, he's just taking his time with yeah. it. Yeah. He comes back the next day. You guys look Mike, come on, man. Let us let me take you to the hospital. And I was sitting there and I was like, okay. This is God again helping me, using Roger as an instrument of his grace and mercy to uh, get me into uh, Baby Hospital, John Hopkins. Okay, now I'm detoxing in the hospital for almost a week. It takes time, yeah. Yeah, that was horrible. That first detox I went through was horrible. Okay, now while I'm in there, Roger is on, this, is on his computer and he finds this place called Mountain Manor. Okay, I have nothing but good things to say about Mountain Manor, um, and it's probably the best 28-day um, rehab program in the state, if yeah. not the country. Roger's at home while I'm detoxing, hooking me up, and, and Roger helped me, helped me. That's where I, that's where the journey started. And, and for the next seven years or so, I'm in and out. I wound up going to Mountain Manor four times. Other programs, I'm in and out. I would get some, some recovery time, six months, seven months, yeah. six months, nine months. I was going to meetings, mad meetings. I had service positions, doing my, my, 12, doing my 12-step program. but there's something missing.
1: Uh, One thing I I think I want to make sure I say every time we talk about addiction on this podcast is they say that you'll fail seven times. What happens often in recovery is there's, there are the six months and then the relapse and the nine months and the relapse. And a lot of people that's multiple, multiple, multiple times that wears on you. And a lot of people give up, right? And a lot of people, when they've gone the nine months and can't get past it, at some point they're just like, you know what? Nine months it is. For you, part of your story is you know going back and forth of the success and the failure, and eventually it leads you back to that one place that you never want to be again, mm-hmm. which is a motel. Mm-hmm. So I'd love for you to share with collective the night when you realize something has to be different, and you reached out to the Frederick
0: Rescue Mission. All right, I'm sitting there. I've been doing. I've been there for maybe a month and a half in this bed in the in the dark. And I pray. For the first time in a long time, I'm like, God, please help me. Help me. And it came to my head, you know, from hearing about it for the rescue mission. I don't know what this place is. I know it's some kind of rehab. I'm just sitting there and it said some something in my head said, call them. Just call them. Make a phone call. I called him, and that, that's when I talked to Steve, and they let me in on the weekend, which doesn't happen. Yeah. Okay, this is God's hand again. Okay, he, he is making sure that this phone call that I finally decided to make is going to is gonna work. Yeah. They allowed me in on that Saturday night. That's when the mission did, its, did its, its great work. They make sure you know that you're being cared for and you are loved. And there is a God. Okay. Yeah, and Jesus yeah. did and Jesus did walk this this earth for thirty-three years. And he did die on the cross. He did conquer death. And he did ascend in the heavens sit on the right hand of God. And what he said before he left was that love each other like I have loved you. Okay. That's that's what I that's what I want to do. Yeah. I I I wanna love everybody finally realized what was missing in my life. The most important part of anyone's life is to praise Jesus, worship God, and praise the name of Jesus Christ. And I finally, thank God, finally figured that out.
1: And that's the difference between a lot of of men who who walk in and out of that place Mm -hmm. is they have the same tools for recovery as any other organization. The difference is uh, they put Jesus in yes. it. and you know for you this was during COVID and so um, when that's happening no one's doing church right and yeah. you guys are watching church online
0: yeah my first collective experience was know, with the zoom
1: yep yeah yep, we're doing the stuff at the synagogue back in that really weird season of our life and um, I remember you're, you're doing the change of life recovery program faith is growing. I remember, uh, you know, Jake told me this story, Jake Sexton, who we did an episode with earlier and he's like, Hey, there's a guy named Mike. He wants to get baptized. He's ready. And like, I think collective had been open for like a week at that, the building yeah. had been open for a week yeah, was, yeah. and Jake calls me up. He's like, Hey man, this dude wants to get baptized and he's, he's ready. And uh, I told him, I was like, I know a place that'll do it. And I remember I met you like
0: maybe the week before, but, uh, you got baptized. It was me and Phil. No, it was two of us that day. It was yeah. Easter Sunday, yeah, on uh, 2021.
1: Yep. And there are certain people. Every person that gets baptized, there's this element of relief. You see it on their face. Like you, you feel it. Like when you've taken that next step and you watch them, you you almost like the transference of that that freedom. You you feel that. And I remember you getting baptized. When you're done, you looked up at heaven. Kind of looked like this.
0: Yep. And it just looked like relief. <laughs> yes. Freedom. That was a special day. Between the mission and collective, my life has been, and, and, and God and Jesus, my life is saved. I am saved now. You know, we always say we don't deserve this and we don't, but it feels so good to know that you're going to, that you can get it. Yeah. You, you can, you can get it. There was a very specific point in time, a few months back, almost a year now, where I knew My life was changed. where I knew that I was changing. I I, I had started serving on the parking team here at Collective, which I greatly enjoy. Um, And we were done services, and I was in the back room, the green room, I think we call it, where the band hangs out. Which the room is actually gray, (laughs) but we call it the green room. And um, Cole French and I were standing there talking, waiting for Jess, because she had a couple things she had to finish up before they were taking me home. This was before the car. Yeah. And um, Cole and I are talking. And here comes Danielle. And she comes up, up to us and uh, says, hey, guys, how you doing? Oh, we're just talking, you know, waiting on Jess. And this is when I first heard about this presentation of, of a car for someone. And Danielle says to me that, you know, she, she explains about the car. And they said that we were looking for someone to give this car to who's, who's responsible. And I was like, okay. So then I said, you know what? That's the first time in a very long time, if ever really, that I can remember that anybody used my name and the word responsible in the same sentence. And it just felt so good. I was like, wow. And it was at that moment that I realized that I was not only seeing life through a different pair of eyes, that people were seeing me in a different light. And that was incredible. That's when I knew things were changing. Things, things, are, things are going to be okay, Mike. For almost 50 years of my life of an act of addiction, for the first time in a long time, and it happened right here at Collective, I felt hope, okay? Hope and love. That's why my favorite Bible verse is Corinthians, 1 Corinthians chapter 13, 13, um, there are three things in life that will last forever, faith, hope, and love. And the greatest of these is love, and that's what that's what we have. Yeah. That's what we have, and the love here is just incredible. The time that I spend here, I, I I'm, I'm, I'm throwing myself into this. I, I, I want to be part. I'm to be more part, part of this church. Um, I work a second shift, which is kind of hard because I can't get into to any of the small groups. But I'm, I'm seriously considering being transferred to a, a day shift. Yeah. So I, I, so I won't miss out on things. I miss out on so much, little gatherings and things like that yeah. that I really want to be a part of. Uh, but that's, I think that's going to change. Yeah. My journey with Christ to this point has, has just been one of, one of hope yeah. and, and mercy and grace and love. I, I cannot even imagine myself ever living the life that I lived for, for decades, almost 50 years of my life um, like that again. I just, I just can't imagine it. Um, I have been enabled by God to be the person that I was always meant to be, better late than never. Yeah. I, I, I am so blessed that he led me to the mission that I found Collective. And this is gonna be part of me for, till the day I die. He, he, has, he, has, given me, he has given me the power to do things for others now, yeah. okay which feels so good. I, I so like helping people. Yeah. okay I'm not looking for praise. okay that's not what I'm looking for. All the glory is God's. I'm so grateful for the, for the time every day. Like another day God gives me um, because, I, because I feel like I've wasted so much time but you can't, you can't live in the past. The past is that. you can't change it. It's not going anywhere, but you can't live there you have to move forward. And every day I get is another opportunity for me to show some appreciation for the life that I have. I don't wake up with that impending feeling of doom um, anymore. I I wake up saying, yeah, I get another day. Thank you, God.
1: Mike, you've been through a lot, man. And um, most people that come to Collective, if, if they're involved, they know you, they know a little bit of your story. But my hope is that a lot of people who are listening to this podcast, when they see you on Sundays serving, my hope is that they see this differently now because a lot of times, oftentimes people ask us at collectives, like, why serve? Like, why, why do all this? Why does it matter? And one of the things I love about you is you serve so that other people can experience what you've experienced through Jesus and you serve because you get to. I get to, yes. You get to.
0: I don't, I, I, I've, I've said this a couple of times. I don't have to serve. No. I get to serve. Yeah. I enjoy coming. To, I, every time I come to Collective, I walk through these doors, my heart is just full of joy. Yeah. Anybody listening to this podcast is looking for a church to attend. I'm going to tell you about a place right now, Okay. And I'm gonna use one of our ma- one of our mantras or mantras, whatever you call. It. If you're looking for a church, come and see. Come and see the celebration that is every baptism. Come and see a church where love fills the air every time you walk through the doors. Come and see the space we've created for our children to learn about God in christ because our children are so very precious to us come and see and hear our pastor michael preach the word of god that is that is written in the bible the truth okay so if you're looking for a place just come and see appreciate that man i
1: promise you that i did not pay mike to do that um (laughs) mike you shared a lot of really good wisdom in this um you know one of the reasons why one, uh, well and I've heard your story. I've heard you share it at the mission before. One of the things I love about you is as you're still running through this this uh growth and this change and this healing, you constantly are saying, Okay, I've gotta share this with other people because if I can get to them before they go through what I went through, if yeah. I if I can tell them now to lean the so- in, the sooner the better. We gotta do it. And so you've given us a ton of great wisdom um in this, but um if there was one like piece of advice that you like, if you could wrap all this up in like one quick, Hey, what's the advice that I have for anybody listening to this podcast? Cause the thing is we know right now, um, people are listening. And, um, for those of you who are, are at collective or not at collective, we are so incredibly grateful that you're giving us your time, but our hope isn't that it's just to consume something on the way to work. Our hope is that this podcast is something that really messes with your heart and really pushes you toward Christ and really pushes you toward church community, really pushes you toward grace. Um, and so when we give advice, it's because, uh, one, we want you to live a different life, the life that God has for you, but two, it's also to help you. And we know there are people listening to this podcast right now who are in the middle of addiction. We know there are people who are listening to this podcast who are, have been addicted for a long time. And feel like there is no light at the end of the tunnel. And so if you could give them just one piece of advice, one thing to hold on to as they continue to battle, what would it be?
0: Now. Do it now. A wise man told me at the mission. I've got to mention Carlton. Carlton Hill. What a yeah. wonder, wonderful man said to us one day. You need to live your life every day like it's your last day. Because brothers and sisters, you just don't know. Okay, there are so many people that I have known who have been in and out of recovery who wanted to go out, try it one more time. They're not with us anymore. They're gone. My advice to anyone out there suffering from addiction is to do not wait. You call somebody right now. You get your help. You get help right now. Okay, tomorrow may not come. What are you waiting for? You know, you know, up in your head, you know, in your heart that you need some help do it now. Okay. And I'll
1: just say too, for, for those of you who are listening, if you are terrified to find help or to make that phone call, come find me on a Sunday morning and I'll introduce you to Mike and he will sit right next to you as you make that phone call. Absolutely. He'll walk you through it. He'll walk you to the door if he has to. I'll come pick him up. Yep. Absolutely. And so, um, you know, this isn't just uh Mike sharing his story this is Mike saying this is what I'm going to do and so if you are in that place reach out to us if you need help reach out to us um and one of my favorite parts of my job is connecting people to other people who've been there before and uh can help help people through it and so all right last thing you talked about a little bit earlier but I just want you to do it again you know, one thing we ask everybody is, "Hey, what's your favorite Bible verse? What's What's the thing that rings in your heart? It's the thing you mentioned earlier. You wake up every day, and your, your life is like this is brand new and this is good. God is in this. Um, but if you could share that with everybody, there,
0: there, there are there are a couple. It's hard to pick a Bible verse, yeah. but <laughs> yeah. I, I've already I've already mentioned my my favorite, which is. 1 Corinthians 13:13. 13, 13. Of course, I, I actually have this one on my hard hat at work. This, this, is, this, is, this is a verse that kind of pretty much says it all to me anyway. It's is Romans 6:23. For the wages of sin is death, but the free gift from God is eternal life through Christ Jesus. There's also another one, um, uh, Isaiah 6, 8. Um, I heard the voice of the Lord say, um, whom shall I send? Who will go for us? And I said, here am I send me that speaks to me too um but um that 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 is one of those are my three favorites i think
1: you gotta read um mike one of the things i love about you is i feel like if we recorded this podcast six months from now and i asked you your favorite bible verses there'd be new ones because you're reading it all the time (laughs) mike i am so thankful for you humbled and honored to be able to see this story and like we, you know, collective has this weird thing where a lot of times we get to see the benefit of God working in someone's life for a long time. And we got to see the benefit of that when you showed up and got baptized, started serving. But man, it is so good to know, like while God's doing all these things, it's also good to look back and see what he got you through. The lows were low and God brought you through it and he brought you here. And my hope and my prayer is that one of the reasons is so that you could share this story today and so that yeah. people listening can can say like i can get through this yes
0: i'm so happy that this is, is happening today that so i could share my total i mean i've shared my story before in front of people but this this is hopefully um is going to affect a lot of people as many as possible and um i am very grateful and, and humbled and honored to have been here today my my hope is that it has touched someone, even if just one person reaches out and asks for help today, then my job is done. I know that there are many, many people out there suffering from some form of addiction, um, abuse. Reach out, ask for help. Doesn't hurt. It doesn't cost anything, and you never know. You just might get the help you need. Um, And everybody needs help in one way, one form or another. And um, I just want, I want to thank Michael for, for doing this with me here today and um, allowing me to come here and have the time to share my story.
1: Yeah. And like we said earlier, if um, come on a Sunday. Let me introduce you to Mike. If, if you're listening to this podcast and you're struggling with addiction and you don't know where to turn, this might be the hand of God in your life right now, um, whether you believe or not, because God might be trying to challenge you to do something. And so, like Mike said, don't do it alone. Come find us. Do it now. And do it now. Yeah, it's great, Mike. Thank you so much for joining me for this. Thank you, Michael. It's All been right. a pleasure. Thanks, man. Great. All right.